welcome to the sermon podcast of Redeemer Anglican Church of Franklin, Pennsylvania. Through every sermon, we hope that you are encouraged by the Word of God and the redeeming grace of Jesus Christ. To find out more about our church, visit our website at franklinredeemer.org. continuing on in this season with walking through the book of Acts and the planting of the church. And uh, this week, if you notice, I actually retained some of the reading from last week because we didn't touch on it, but I wanted to touch on it this week. But as I've been reflecting on this passage and what it speaks to us in our mission to be ambassadors of Christ, to, 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 to be an outpost for the gospel, to plant a church, to reflect Christ and his gospel within this community. As, as reflecting on, on this passage and in our calling as a church in light of that, I, I, what kept coming to mind is the importance of having the distinction between being needed and being wanted. I think a lot of times we think we want to be needed. I mean, it feels good, you think, to be needed. But in reality, to be needed is not actually that great of a thing. There's a lot of things that in my life that I do because I need to, but not because I like to or want to. There are people who latch on to other people who are, 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 are abusive and, and painful because they, they feel this sense of need for that person, but there's actually no, no love or affection. I always joke, but there are numerous people in my life that because of tact, I won't tell them who they are that I deal with because I need them. I don't like them. (laughs) Most of you are not those. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) No, it it kind of sometimes feels good to, to, to be needed. But in reality, that's not that grand of a thing. What's far better than being needed is to not be needed. But even, but if you're not needed, and yet that person still comes after you, that person still wants you with them, it's not because that you're wanted. It's a far more glorious thing to be wanted than to be needed. Keeping that in mind, I think that that is the framework to to best understand what is going on here in our passage today. Last week, we talked about laying aside our freedom for the sake of the mission of proclaiming the gospel of freedom. And Paul and Silas bringing on Timothy and Paul having Silas circumcised for the sake of the gospel. And this week, we continue that story 
We continue that mission of Paul and Silas and now Timothy. First in Asia Minor, and then moving on to Southeastern Europe. And so as we look at this in these passages, I just want to reflect on the call of mission, but the call of faithfulness within the mission. First, beginning looking at their, their mission and their, their, their ministry and attempt to do ministry in Asia Minor. If you read, it says, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So we had read earlier, they were going back through these regions and areas where areas that Paul had already gone through. He had already planted churches. He had already started gospel communities. And the plan was then to go back and retrace the steps through that early mission. That they could go and check on these churches. Also bring the message that was decided upon from the Jerusalem Council. So that they could allow the churches to know the freedom that they have in Christ. And then to, to expand the gospel work throughout Asia Minor. Just as a quick note, it, it translated, it's, it's Asia, that's what the Greek says, but it's not referring to Asia as we often think of Asia. It's a region called Asia Minor that was a region in, in the Roman Empire. Makes up m- most of what, uh, is mostly made up of what today is called Turkey. And so that's the region that they were in. But what is most notable in their ministry and mission within Asia Minor is that, it, that, that Luke says that they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. And then again, that the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. This should stand out because what they were seeking to do was biblical. And it was very, very good. To check on the churches, to encourage them to remain faithful to the gospel, to allow them to know of the freedom that they have in Christ, to go and to preach the gospel to those who have not heard, to expand the gospel to new territories and regions within Asia Minor. Those are all really, really good things. So why would the Holy Spirit keep them from preaching the gospel? Why would the Holy Spirit stop them from building up the church? Now, one thing that that you need to note is it's very unclear how the Spirit stopped them. What I think is interesting oftentimes is that when we read things like this, we immediately get in our mind a picture of what this means and then assume very clearly that's what, it, what it's happening because that's what we picture in our mind. But it just simply says that, that the Spirit forbid them. Stop them. We don't know how they knew that. I mean, it, it could be that there, there's this divine word from heaven. It could have been just circumstances that kept frustrating what they were trying to do. It, it could, there could have been a lot of different things. It could have been just a gut feeling. We don't know how the Spirit stopped them. But what is clear from this is that 
They weren't discerning things wrong. It was the Spirit of God. And if they continued on preaching the gospel in Asia Minor, they would have been in disobedience to God. If they would have pressed on, kept on doing mission, preaching to everybody that they could know, doing as much as they could do for the sake of God and His glory and the gospel within Asia Minor, if they were doing those things that are so praiseworthy and wonderful that would be praised and lifted up by the church, they would have been in direct disobedience to God. And I want to just pause here for a second. That the preaching of the gospel, the building of his church, the edification of the church, the desire and mission to go and to do more for Jesus in the gospel was hindered, and it was hindered by God himself. And I think this should strike as a bit odd unless you understand, we understand the nature of redemption and our inclusion into God's mission. If you go the whole way back, this kind of redemptive narrative of God building for himself a people, a people that through, through which he was going to redeem the whole world, you go back to the Exodus. And if you notice that after God redeems the people Israel, he has to continually remind them that he is not like Pharaoh. One of the first things he does is he... he commands them to rest, to take a Sabbath, for he is not like Pharaoh. Because as they were being drawn out, there was a a God figure in which they as a people found their identity, their worth. The whole reason they were in Egypt was because of the number of bricks they could produce. They were useful to Pharaoh. Their value, their worth, everything was based upon how much they could accomplish and produce. And you see, throughout the Old Testament, God has to continually remind Israel that I did not redeem you and call you out of Egypt because I need you to produce anything for me. He actually reminds them, I rescued you and saved you and will use you to bring my glory to the ends of the earth. And I want to remind you it wasn't because I needed you. Because actually as a nation, you guys are kind of weak and pathetic. You don't have a big military. You don't have a ton of wealth. You don't really have much of anything. You have, you know, the promised land, but it's also still a really tiny little landmass. There were way bigger empires that God could have elected to choose and redeem if he needed wealth, power, strength, numbers. And he reminds them over and over again. I have not redeemed you because I need you. And I think that as we see through Israel, but also through the history of the church and for ourselves, that there is a continual struggle to go back to Egypt And to see God as like Pharaoh. That he is in some way looking down at us. And saying, look at everything I did for you. What have you done for me lately? 
What have you produced? How are you going to show your value to me? See, I think I, I love um, the author Wendell Berry. And he talks about some of the ways that we perceive things in our culture and society today. I think it feeds into even more of this, the way we view things. But he uses this one an example, and I, and, and I love it, because he talks about how, how we no longer talk about, um, talk about creation. We often, we often now use the language of, of just natural resources. He said, because then what happens is we begin to see things purely based upon what they can produce. So instead of seeing the oak tree as beautiful and valuable as an oak tree, what we see is just board feet. And that tree has value based upon the value of its board feet. And then what he argues is that it's not a, it's not a very small, or it's not a very large leap to move from the tree to myself. And then to begin to think that our economy of how we view everything is then also how God views us. But what's interesting is as much as we feel that our value is based purely upon our effectiveness, our productivity, simply our work ethic, we don't see that in the New Testament with regard to how God us. Instead, what we see is a focus on this idea of faithfulness. Faithfulness because God does not need us. Which is the good news that he's called us in the mission with him because he wants us. See, achievement and productivity. Pharaoh doesn't care whether or not you care about him. What he cares about is as long as you're breaking your back, making enough bricks for him. And if you make more bricks, then he's more pleased. But the amount of bricks that you make matters little to a God that doesn't need you. To a God that simply wants you to trust him as he incorporates you into what he is doing. And so what we see in Asia Minor is something very interesting that Paul and Silas and Timothy were faithful in mission by shutting up and stopping. Their faithfulness in the mission of God was willing to not stay there and preach. And as they went through Phrygia, Galatia, Bithynia, they finally give up and end up in in Troas, which is the far western port town in Asia Minor. So they didn't get very far within Asia Minor. And by happenstances, they kept being frustrated and trying and trying and trying to continue on that plan, that goal that they were doing. And God continued frustrating them, however, and it happened. It led them down to Troas, which just so happened to be the major port city where shipping happened from Asia Minor to Macedonia. And so we have the faithfulness to shut up 
and stop. And now faithfulness to go and proclaim. In 9 through 13, we read of a vision that Paul had of a man from Macedonia calling out to him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And it says, when Paul had seen the vision immediately, we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. First, I just want to draw out like a little note that you may not have noticed. Um, Do you notice a shift that happened? So even though they were frustrated in their attempts and they were not enabled to go and do what they thought they were supposed to do for God's glory, but instead were frustrated within Asia Minor, there still was fruit in that work. Because in 16.6, the whole way back to the beginning of Acts, there is the language of they. They went and did this. They went and did that. Paul and so-and-so did that. And then all of a sudden in verse 10, it shifts to we. Because in that process, uh, Luke became part of the team. And throughout the rest of Acts, it's we. Because he's part of the mission now. But what we see is that their faithfulness to stop, to be silent, to not preach, turns because of a vision that God grants to a faithfulness that is shown through a willingness to go wherever the Spirit leads and to proclaim the gospel in whatever opportunities might arise. And that's the challenge, right? Because faithfulness can mean um, stopping and not preaching. It can mean going and proclaiming, and it all depends upon the situation and how God is leading. And in this type of situation, it it kind of makes it a little bit um, clearer than it usually and normally is, because rarely do you get a vision from God of somebody saying, come, speak to me. If you do get that frequently, I honestly do not believe that's God. I believe that you might have some issues, like straight up serious. Because here's the problem. People read this and think that this is normative. This is found in the New Testament because it's not normative. We have one instance of Paul having this type of thing happen. In 30 some years of ministry, this is not normal even for the apostles. There's something significant that happened. So it, it, we, we don't just sit around waiting and saying, I'll be faithful whenever I have a vision. But even if you have a vision, what's interesting is that they don't just go off following visions. When it says that they concluded that God had called us to preach the gospel to them, the Greek word there is a word that actually means to unite, to tie together, and to infer. What they were saying is after the vision, then looking through everything that had been happening in Asia Minor, all of these different events that were coming together, that they, they, they together discerned, okay, this is God. And God is leading us into 
this place. And so, the guidance that we have within this story, whether it's the attempt to do ministry in Asia Minor, where the Holy Spirit clearly says stop, or the call to Macedonia, they're pretty extreme and unique. That's why they're in Scripture. But it's not a normal part of the Christian life. And it's not actually a normal part of the apostles' life. And so one thing to say is we're, as for us, as we reflect on what's it mean for faithfulness in mission, um, that this is not laying out a model here. It's very dangerous if you spend your entire life reading the signs. I've met so many Christians where they have become experts in interpreting doors. They know when a door is open and when a door is closed, and they, they are navigating their life through these open and closed doors. It doesn't work like that. The sad thing is, is a lot of times in trying to figure out the way the Spirit's leading, we cease to be faithful Christians and begin acting like Christian diviners, divination. Testing the spirits and the tea leaves to figure out what we're supposed to do. But see, the problem is, is, is the normal Christian life and faithfulness is much more nuanced and difficult than that. And I'm not going to have always a clear vision of where it should go. But I think that in that, what matters most is, is what I wanted to get at within this is our disposition and drive in our ministry and mission. That we are driven knowing that all that God desires of us is faithfulness. And driven by the simple desire to be faithful. And knowing how to be faithful in some areas of mission is easy because it's pretty clear within Scripture, but most are not. And I want to tell you that actually I think the struggle and the challenge and the ambiguity in all of it is very, very intentional. I think it's intentional because, again, going back, because we are called to join in mission, not because we're needed, but because we're wanted. We talk a lot about the sufficiency of Scripture. Scripture is sufficient for what Scripture was intended to be written for, but Scripture is insufficient in most things in our life. Scripture is not going to tell you what you should make for dinner tonight. Scripture is not going to tell you what job you're supposed to take. Scripture, Because we're not supposed to have a deep relationship with Scripture. Scripture is supposed to point beyond itself so that the written word draws us into reliance and relationship with the living word of God. Things are ambiguous, ambiguous and challenging as we're trying to discern how God is directing and leading us. Because if God wanted us to be effective, then he would just give us a great master plan so it would be clear and we would stop screwing everything up. But he doesn't need us. He wants us. And if he wants us, then things will remain unclear so that in that we don't just run off with our mission plan of what I'm going to do for Jesus. But instead, we are on our knees crying out to Jesus, saying, I don't know what to do. 
forcing us to rely upon him, forcing us to come to him, forcing us to trust in him. It's because God does not need us, but he wants us. And because of that, he uses very inefficient means, but very relational means to draw us in to our mission and walk with him in faithfulness. But see, the significance of all of this is the idea that our God is not Pharaoh. He does not call us to mission because he needs us. Be honest. If you study church history, we've jacked a lot more up than I think we've actually helped. He would have been probably way more effective and efficient if he wouldn't have brought us along. Because we're awkward, we're broken, strange, insecurities. We think we heard God, but we didn't hear God. And we think we're being faithful to God, but because it was unclear, we aren't being faithful to God. It, it would be a whole lot better if he was just this grand general in the sky, this great pharaoh that wants a great pyramid of the church to be established. And here is your working orders. And whoever can make the most bricks for me is the one who's most pleasing to me. But he's not like that. No, instead, it's all about faithfulness. Faithfulness that sometimes looks like a willingness to shut up. Willingness to stop. Willingness to give up on that very, very biblical and godly goal that you had set for yourself. And also faithfulness to get up. Faithfulness to go. Faithfulness to proclaim. We have two examples. We have Asia Minor and we have Macedonia, where they listened to the call. And then as you read on, they did proclaim the gospel. And Lydia was brought to faith, a very significant individual. But she was brought to faith not because of their faithfulness. But if you read in it, it says that God, that God had opened her heart. See, their faithfulness was simply going where God wanted them to be because God wanted them where he was already working and moving so they could join their father in what he is ultimately doing. The challenge is, is that I think there's probably within all of our lives some Asia Minors and there are also some Macedonians. There are probably some things that we are doing, maybe thinking we're being faithful, but deep down we're actually just trying to be impressive or guilting ourselves or whatever else, or just being on our own agenda. There are probably some Asian minors that faithfulness would look like stopping. Just letting it go. Trying and trying and trying to reach that family member or try to reach that neighbor or whatever else. And, 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 it's, and it is, it is not a, a bad thing. It's a biblical thing. You want to proclaim the gospel. But it might be in Asia Minor where God is actually saying, shut up for a little bit. Just let them be. I don't want you to preach right now. But then there also might be some Macedonias in our life that God is saying, get up and go. 
proclaim. Walk across the street. Introduce yourself. Serve in this manner. What, I, don't, I don't know what it is, but the ambiguity of it, it forces us to come to him in prayer, forces us to try to discern, but also forces us to trust the gospel that even when we screw it up, God is still gracious. God is still sovereign. That even in those Asia minors, Luke's are produced as we press on. God does not need us, but he wants us. And his call to mission is a call to faithful participation in what he has done and what he is doing. It's important to remember that God is not like Pharaoh. So I want to close with a story that I've, I've shared in sermons before because it really impacted me and it, it, I think it's a really good picture of our call to mission. It, it's a story that was brought to mind to me this week by a letter that Judah wrote to me. Um, because truth be told, I stand up here and preach. Um, hopefully my theology is solid, but it doesn't mean that I actually like, live it out in the bay all the time. Um, as what I'm saying to you right now, I had to have us, my son write a letter to me to remind me that my value is not whether or not this church plant succeeds or fails, whether or not my preaching has any impact or anything else. And in that letter, he reminded me of a story of when he was little. We were living in the east end of Pittsburgh, and they had tore out a bunch of really nasty old bushes on the front of our house and had tore that out, and there's all these stones. I wanted to build a garden in front of the house. And Judah was, I mean, maybe like four or five, I think. Maybe not even that. He was maybe like three. Um, and so I'm picking up the stones and I'm trying to clear out all the stones to build a garden. And there's, you know, little baby Judah and he's watching me and he, he wants to, you know, he wants to, he wants to be with me and he's watching me. And he, he asked me if he could help. And man, did that stir my heart. And I was like, hey, buddy, why don't you come help me? I'm going to be truthful to you. As sweet as Judah was, I did not need the help of a three-year-old. You know what actually happened is cleaning up those rocks took me twice as long as it would have taken me if he wasn't there. Because he's like sitting there, I'm like, okay, I'll help you, buddy. Here, come on. And he's like, I had no interest in employing a three-year-old because I wanted to get this done more effectively. No, I brought him along, even though he screwed it up. Because I started noticing I was moving rocks out of the garden, and I looked around and my little buddy was taking them rocks and putting them back in the garden. <laughs> no, I brought him along. Not because I needed him, but because I wanted him. I wanted my little guy with me. The garden was going to get made. It was going to get done. And I could have done it better without him. But what mattered most to me is that he was with me while I was doing it. And I remember being reminded of that. 
as I was struggling to do inner city ministry and plant a church. And I remember God saying to me, not audibly, but just really sensing God saying to me, I don't need you, Eric. I do want you. You're like little baby Judah to me. So stop stressing so much about it. And help me build this garden. May we be encouraged in our mission and ministry with that vision of a loving father that doesn't need us, but he does want us and has called us to join him in his mission. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for upcoming sermons and consider joining us in person for Sunday worship. To learn more, check out our website at franklinredeemer.org. Joy of my heart and the boast of my tongue